part two of our Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning celebration, retrospective, extravaganza, whatever you want to call it, I spoke to director John Hyams. What's interesting about John isn't just that he comes from cult cinema royalty. I mean, Christ, the man's father is Peter Hyams, the filmmaker behind many a classics, Time Cop, 2010, Sudden Death, Outland. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's that John's initial passion wasn't film. As you'll hear him get into, he comes from a sculpting and painting background. And film was something he came to a little later. I mean, it's in his blood. But in entering film with that kind of fine arts background, particularly one that's so tactile, you feel that in his work, particularly in his action. His action is so unique in the genre. There's a thudding, meaty, for lack of a better term, quality to it. And it's something that I find that you can only get from someone who works in a medium that, you know, your, your materials are getting under your nails, all over your clothes, you know, it's just a messy medium. And it translates into this action that's just so, you can feel it in your bones watching it. But further, what excited me most about this conversation, and as we talked, and you know, as he opened up about the film, or films in this case, because he talks a lot about the third entry, Regeneration, which he also directed, is his approach to the violence. It's not just the aesthetic of the violence. It's his take on the violence that I found so fascinating, because his approach to these films was looking at the violence in a way of, what are we, we specifically being the U.S. government, doing to people when we send them into these situations, forcing them to commit absurd acts of violence, sometimes against transgressions that might not even deserve that. And you'll hear him get into that. It's something I found very fascinating. And, you know, what are we doing to these people? What are we doing to their minds, to their bodies? And it's a very empathetic way of looking at monstrous acts, which you don't get in action and you especially don't get in the fourth entry of, a, you know, something that was kind of like a silly meat-headed action film. So hopefully John's name will continue to be on the rise and his films will continue to resonate because I think he's a very special filmmaker and it was an immense pleasure to talk to him. Okay, great. So uh, yeah, the, the, the main reason I wanted to talk to you was, I mean, I'm sure as you know, it's uh, 10 years now of Day of Reckoning and um, it's kind of uh, blown up into like this like cult favorite with people. And uh, I just was wondering, first off, you know, your thoughts on that and, you know, compared to its reception at the time, which I know it was a little divisive at the time. I talked to uh, Scott yesterday and he talked a little bit about how he felt like um, action fans kind of rejected it. And and it was more, I guess, what he would have called like artier movie fans seemed to be more receptive. And that was surprising to hear because I always thought action fans were super into it, but I mean, you might have more insight into that. Well, I think that that's, that's actually probably an accurate description. I think like, certainly I think universal soldier fans were, were very divisive about it from the get go, you know, because I think in many ways in a justifiable way, because it, it certainly was a sharp left turn from, from even regeneration in terms of what they were, what they had come to expect uh, from the franchise. So, and it's interesting for me to even look back on it now and, and it, and realize how, how far off of like kind of the original, it's not even so much about mythology as much as it's about tone, you know, it was just such a deviation in tone from the, the franchise that I think, of course, that was bound to divide people. I think it also was one of those movies where it's, uh, you know, it, it, it fits in a certain genre of films in terms of like, I guess you would say kind of amnesia stories where you are dealing with an unreliable, you know, protagonist narrator. So that so much of the movie you are you are fairly in the dark about what's going on, and I don't think the movie ever really explains it in explicit terms. It kind of it it explains it 
through various, you know, characters and how things play out. But uh, I think even even the most kind of devoted fans of the movie might not have completely followed it the first time around, you know. And I think that, you know, looking back on it now, sometimes I'm surprised at how obtuse it was at times. Um, but I, I'm happy that that we, quite frankly, got away with it. You know, in in this, when you when you're in this industry and do this, you know, there's so many kind of lines of defense when you're getting a movie made in terms of script approval and casting approval and then edit approval and all sorts of pr- approvals. It's not like I've ever enjoyed Final Cut on anything. And and even that aside. Uh, just kind of getting the thing made. Now, this one was unique in the sense that the only thing really required to get this made was the approval of Jean-Claude and Dolph. And I think they were pleased with our past experience together on regeneration. I think they were pleasantly surprised by how that turned out. And I think they had faith in that, that we were going to come up with something good. So once they signed off, that in a certain way trumped anybody's opinion in the process. I know that when we delivered the film, the people at Sony, you know, their first reaction was they were a bit aghast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I can't blame them. You know, we, we took something with a very seemingly should have been kind of a layup. And uh, we, we just added degrees of difficulty to the situation. Now, to your original point about how do I feel about the reaction to it? I mean, it, it, it thrills me that, that anything I have done could be considered, you know, have cult status to me. That's what the sort of the status I'd always would, you know, those are the movies I loved the most. Um, And to have been a part of something which can't be really intentional. It just kind of has to happen that way that, you know, and I think cult status usually applies to something that is maybe met with, a, you know, at first not a great reaction or maybe a divisive reaction and that it builds kind of over time. You know, what I I think the most gratifying thing to me about this has been the kind of film community, whether it's the kind of critical community or other filmmakers, you know, of everything I've done. Um, this one still stands as the one that I think has gotten the strongest reaction, certainly from filmmakers who I've talked to or, you know, who've reached out to me because of it or, or people like yourself who are even still talking about the movie. It is surprising that it's 10 years ago. That was kind of my, my older daughter is 10 years old. So this movie came out right around when she was, you know, only months old oh wow and it's and it's interesting for me to think about i don't even know that i would have made that movie if i you know if i had kids (laughs) quite (laughs) frankly you know it was like the the darkness of that film which is kind of what it's all about it kind of had to go there um and i'm not even sure that i well i certainly wouldn't make the same movie today you know but but uh but I can look back on that with, with some objectivity because I don't even, again, I don't even know exactly how to make a movie quite like that anymore. You know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, you just, you change over time. So I, I certainly have it. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. You know, I think quite a bit. It, it's been really cool to see like uh, just the, you know, the kind of love that it's gotten just from, you know, there was a screening in England yesterday put up by a few of my friends. And I just, I, it's just really cool to see that. Cause we did, I, I know it got a limited theatrical run, but I don't think we got it here in Pittsburgh. So the only way I saw it was on DVD and it's just, it's, it's been really cool. But I, I, I was wondering what drew you to the franchise in the first place? I mean, with regeneration, had you been a fan of the original or just a fan of those two guys or, uh, in truth, it was none of those things. Um, I had been, you know, my my kind of path to film. You know, of course, I I grew up in a you know in a in a film family with my dad yep. and grew up working on his sets. But uh, my 
my area of focus was, you know, in the studio arts and fine arts, I was a painter and a sculptor and I, that's what I did. And then ultimately a fabricator for other artists. And I did that professionally for a good 10 years before I decided to pivot and really devote myself full time to film. My my path through film went through documentaries and then kind of anything I could get going. So documentaries, which led to some episodic TV work, more documentaries, and then eventually, over time, doing uh, storyboard work. And I had been doing storyboard work for the producer, Moshe Diamant. And, you know, there was always talk with him from time to time about if the right thing came along, you know, maybe maybe he would give me a shot at something to direct. Um, and he was living kind of in, in that sort of genre, direct-to-video space for the most part. And, you know, at the time, again, my aspirations as a filmmaker were, were very different. You know, I, again, maybe coming out of the art world, whatever it was, you know, I, I always imagined myself that I would try to be like a Richard Linklater type of film. You know, that's what I always imagined myself, you know, and that was he was a guy that I really admired early on. And, and then there was, of course, you know, like Jim Jarmusch and Woody Allen. And, you know, these are the now I also loved John Carpenter and I loved Ridley Scott. And of course, watch my dad's movies and and Scorsese on down. But I never really thought that I would be sort of dive head first into genre fair. Th then what ended up happening was it uh, regeneration kind of came to me just as an opportunity, a script with a, and a script that needed some work for sure, and kind of the 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 situation where if I could get Jean Claude and Dolph both who had essentially turned the project down. If I could convince them to say yes, it was a green light, and uh, and 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 so that's what pulled me into the franchise. Nothing more than that. I'd never even I'd never seen a Universal Soldier movie before that. You know, I watched the first one, and got understood immediately. Watching it, okay, I can put it in the context of kind of it's a post Terminator movie of that era, and kind of riffing off of the ideas and in fact again Roland Emmerich's movie was a very comedic you know a very tongue-in-cheek kind of movie and uh and it was having a lot of fun with itself and then some of the subsequent ones uh I felt I wasn't sure exactly if the tone or conceptually what they were going for was even in line with that original idea but when when I spoke to Moshe and Craig Baumgarten, the, the, the producers around that. I said, you know, kind of, I asked them, look, if I was to do this, you know, I would, I would really want to take it in a, in a, in a different direction in the sense of, I would really want to kind of ground this in some ground, this as kind of hard, you know, naturalism and make it, you know, like a hard R rated kind of, violent sci-fi movie the kinds that that i really again love growing up and i felt like the the all of the kind of satirical comedic aspects they didn't interest me terribly much and i didn't know that there was anything more to do with it so when they agreed that i you know could take could change it tonally and, and make it bring in kind of a more serious tone then i asked them Mythology-wise, this is so far past the original one. While it's not a reboot, it, it seems like not a wise move to be overly connected to the kind of the the mythology of the subsequent movies, which became very convoluted and really moved away from the original concept. Um, and they basically said and quickly, like, just pay attention to the first one and that's it. And I said, okay. And what I'll do is I'll make a movie that feels self-contained, that essentially we can kind of, we can lay out the mythology for you rather quickly. And there's there's sort of a sequence in the movie that does that, which is kind of like, you know, the commander briefing the troops type of sequence. And, uh, and then we just kind of start from there. 
And so to me, Day of Reckoning was again following in the mythology that we created in or not rather created, but the kind of the the, the mythology that we that we stuck to in uh in regeneration. And I suppose they are companion pieces, but again, I kind of was hoping, hey, maybe this one could be standalone in itself as well. So I think that was always my ambition with each one is to make them standalone. They they certainly feel standalone. Like you I definitely think that there's a through line with um you know the first, third and fourth, but I you, you can also view them as their own singular films, which I think is honestly the best way to go with a sequel is to try to make it its own thing and not leave it open ended, even though you know, each one has its own, each ending of three and four, you know, you can kind of jump off of those a little bit, but I, I think that's the best way to go. Now you, you talked a lot about how you were more interested in guys like Linklater and Jarmusch and everything. Um, with, right. So for, so for the inspirations for this, I know that it you very heavily, you said it was in, in just in interviews I've read with like apocalypse now was a big inspiration, uh, but I've seen it, uh, I've seen people over the years kind of refer to it as, <clears throat> you know, as Lynchian, which I feel like has yeah. become an overused word to describe things, but I can definitely see that with this one. Was that, was he ever on your mind while making this or did that just kind of come naturally? Well, you know what? I think that it's interesting. I, I love David Lynch, you know, and I, and I watched a lot of, I'd watched all of his films and, and was uh, certainly influenced by them in general. I think uh, the truth of the matter is Apocalypse Now really became an inspiration in, in terms of the, the construction of it, meaning it's going to be essentially a mission movie about, or it's about a guy going to find another guy to kill him, right? Which is what Apocalypse Now is. And, and then, of course, like we shaved Jean-Claude's head. And we had, and he's kind of operating off the grid. Then, then like his kind of compound started to resemble a Kurtz compound type of thing, a, a heart of darkness type of story. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be it. Would be disingenuous for me to say that that wasn't kind of the the construction that we were going with. I do think that I was, I think, more blatantly ripping off Gaspar Noé than really anybody <laughs> and 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 i think eventually the lynch kind of comparisons came in ones that i'm very happy with if anyone's gonna you know put <laughs> put our film in the same sentence but i think a lot of that has to do with in many ways the the sound design of the movie you know what's happening from an audio perspective and because lynch Obviously, he creates these very mysterious spaces, and and I think a lot of people watch Day of Reckoning and at times don't know what the hell's going on, which is sometimes how you feel in a Lynch movie. But you do in his movies feel this impending sense of dread, and a lot of that is created by what he's doing. I guess you know it, a lot of it is audio based, and and certainly the way he uses the camera and and the color palette and all those things. So I think there was something in the kind of visceral sense of the movie that could feel Lynch like where you're kind of entering a bit of a, uh, well, it's a very subjective, the way the story is told. So it, it gets almost kind of like psychedelic at times. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that those were not necessarily intentional, but, but I could see how, you know, in retrospect, yeah, sure. That's a lot of times you're borrowing from people and it's not intentional. It's just kind of, right. you realize it right. later on. Well, and so I've, <clears throat> I've seen you kind of over the, your last few movies drifting a bit towards horror. Um, but although day of reckoning has a lot of horror, horrific elements in it. Um, yeah. but with, with alone and then sick, which I haven't seen yet. Very excited to see that, but, um, yeah. But do you, I, I actually wrote about this for another publication that I, I feel like there's a huge overlap between action and horror and the responses it elicits from us. Is that something that you, do you feel that there's an overlap there? Do you intentionally try to make your action as horrific as possible or, or does it, does it just try, kind of serve what story you're telling? Because 
with something like alone that you know the the final confrontation at the end is like it, it becomes an action film and and it's it's pretty incredible how you're able to you're one of the few filmmakers who I think can meld those two genres really well do you do you find any overlap there when you're working with action or horror I do I do um and I think some of that was kind of born out of necessity um and also you know <laughs> to include that black summer for sure yeah. is you know is basically action horror and and I think the thing that I think they all have in common is that they're all thrillers I think that's that you know to me a thriller is kind of like uh is sort of a combination of you know suspense and mystery and action and horror it kind of it's a it's a broad genre that that combines all those things because sometimes i i know people have considered alone to be horror and I, and i i like it if they consider it that you know to me it was always a very straightforward kind of suspense thriller but you, you can't help but in though in that genre to be dipping into horror but as far as action and horror i mean day of reckoning was the perfect example of that we had a limited budget and again i always try to make whatever budget i'm working with the appropriate budget you know you don't because it's not you're not going to get any points for for doing well with the money you had you have to make that the appropriate amount so with the limitations of our budget, I realized that we couldn't even kind of top the scope of regeneration. We were shooting that one in Bulgaria. We had a longer schedule. We could do more kind of, you know, just say bigger set pieces. So my feeling was what we had to do was make the action just even more brutal and in a sense that's where i started kind of coming upon the concept of doing action as horror and i felt like with day of reckoning we kind of had to for it to have an impact on the audience and for it to do something that the previous ones had to do we almost had to think of it as a horror movie right so i so i always did kind of imagine it that way and i look at it now and it's it feels like a horror movie to me Oh, definitely. I think it has a lot of the same rhythms of a horror movie. And, you know, Scott, yesterday when I spoke to him, really keyed in on that scene where, you know, he's walking through a hallway and it becomes bloodier and bloodier. And then it just, it, you, you end up on a like mutilated body. And so, yeah, that, that is, there's, it's a very, uh, I think it has a lot of, like I said, a lot of the same uh, tones of a horror film. And now where the action's concerned, you don't come from an action background. Um, is How hands-on are you with the choreography and everything like that. I know Larnell Stovall worked on Day of Reckoning and he has a lot of experience with that. Are you hands-on with him or do you kind of let him and, you know, the performers map it out themselves? Well, you know, it, it always depends on the situation, uh, you know, because I, I think that like I have, having done a bunch of action and just having a bunch of ideas about it, I certainly have my my own thoughts about how action should be kind of how I want it to be portrayed, how I want it to feel. But, you know, the, the better the collaborators are that you work with, the more you kind of let them do what they do. And, and, and you, you are essentially, you know, giving them the way you are with a good actor, you're giving them kind of your, the notes you give them are more tonal and more broad and more abstract than saying we need, you know, three punches and a kick here. Larnell is is a true artist when it comes to action choreography. And, and, and at that point in time, when I saw what he was capable of doing, A, I knew that, I mean, there's, he's way beyond anything that I could do in terms of choreography. And, but I also, what I loved most about Larnell is that he really thought of, the overall narrative of the story and what the narrative of the individual action scenes that he was creating. And so every kind of action beat or fight in that movie was telling a story within the story. And, and Larnell was very cognizant of that. So to me, it was a real collaboration between Larnell, you know, Scott, and our DP, Yaron Levy, 
and myself, all, you know, all of us were kind of, everyone was contributing to, to what, you know, how these things were going to play out and how we were going to shoot them and what we wanted, uh, how each one had to differentiate itself from the last one. So, yeah, I, I think if, if left to my own devices, uh, I tend to, you know, favor action that looks just kind of messy and gritty and, and real. And, uh, and so, and that's usually how I'm, I'm working with the coordinator to kind of play, to have, to have that really be kind of rule of the day. In the case of the Universal Soldier movies, we had the added benefit of these being superhuman creatures. So it's essentially they're superheroes, if you will. And so in thinking of it that way, that allowed someone like Larnell to come in and bring a lot of these things that felt, you know, more sort of action movie choreography because it, it suited the characters in the movie. Um, and what I tended to do with Larnell and Scott and everyone was always just like, okay, this is amazing what's going on. How do we kind of mess this up a little bit? It's, it yeah. looks a little, you know, how do we make this feel a little more impactful? So sometimes it was just about, you know, cutting it down or minimizing it, making sure all the blows had impact uh, because it is very much like creating almost like a dance, you know, and, 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 and uh, so I always was just, that was my notes with those guys was just like, let's, let's just keep it feeling natural and messy it up. And otherwise, I mean, that Larnell really was the architect of all of that. And, and to that point, I don't know if you guys get enough credit for this, you and, because I think the raid takes the, you know, the, the lion's share of this kind of credit, but you both released at the same year and you both have very similar, like your action is so like, I, f I forget how I described it yesterday to Scott, but it feels it feels meatier, like like the thuds hit harder. It's not it's not as so much of a high wire act, and I I feel like a lot of action in the last ten years has pivoted towards that, where you can hear the blows and everything. And I think that you guys deserve a lot of credit for that with regeneration and day of reckoning because it's it it, it it's hard to watch sometimes. There are these beautiful fights, but they're just really you know it feels like the you can feel them connecting in just ways that I don't feel that that happens too often and. With with Day of Reckoning specifically, um, it almost feels well. First of all, before I get to that, because uh, I was going to ask about it, almost feeling like a passing of the torch from Jean Claude and Dolph to Scott as action stars. But before that, Jean Claude doesn't die too often on screen. How did you convince? I mean, he dies in the original Universal Soldier, but he's brought back to life. And I know that he and Dolph have script approval. Was that a tough thing to convince him of that you know you you're definitively being killed off in this one? Yeah, um, I think that yeah to answer that one, yeah of course there was there was a lot of uh, discussion about how, how you know whether a that's a good idea and b how to play it out. Um, to me, it was really always about just what made sense for that particular story and less about like um, ultimately passing the torch from Jean-Claude to Scott, even though you couldn't help but, but embrace the fact that that kind of hung over, you know, what was happening, which is like sort of the older guard and then like the, you know, the, the, the newer guy coming in and there's, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, there is a lot of as as I know I've uh, discussed this before in in uh, some interview where that there there is always the kind of politics of who wins and loses fights amongst these action stars, and it's it's almost in some ways like there's like a whole pro wrestling kind of thing that goes along with these action stars of like. You know, early in your career, you know, Chuck Norris can lose to Bruce Lee, but then eventually, you know, then he can't lose. To, you know, if you lose to someone, that's kind of there's a whole hierarchy to it, which is where you you kind of run into issues when you're doing something like the Expendables and like nobody can lose a fight <laughs> to each other. <laughs> you know, so or, or the Fast it, and Furious, you know, you always right. hear about The Rock and Vin Diesel refuse to <laughs> lose. <Yeah. laughs> 
That's right. So, so that becomes like a real thing. And I think, you know, Scott has like fought these guys in movies before and, and lost. And um, to me, the, the broader point of day of reckoning and, and in fact, Jean-Claude was kind of helpful in, in, in coming up with how to play this moment, which in a sense, the point is that he's almost, he's almost sacrificing himself so he can unleash, you know, Scott's character, John upon, you know, if there, if his whole point, if his whole purpose is essentially we are going to, you know, seek vengeance on our oppressors, which essentially would be the, the government. Um, he's been waiting to see who is the kind of, who's the right person to come along to unleash upon these people. And once, and, and so in a sense, the whole, the whole like story is, uh, a test or, you know, by, by his character, Luke Devereaux to see who's the kind of worthy virus to unleash upon the world. And he meets it in this, in Scott Atkins character. So, so in a sense, he dies, but he allows himself to be killed. Right. And, uh, and, and that was, again, there was discussions about how that would play out, but it really did make a ton of sense that, um, you know, we had versions where there was no lines and he just kind of was, was going to let him do it. Or we, we had thought of lots of different ways. And in the end, we sort of arrived upon that with Jean-Claude and Scott. And, and he ended up saying that line, you know, there, there is no end, right. Always. always what is it? Another. There is no end. Always another John. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that seemed like a cool thing because it's almost like it became like an offensive move on his part. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's interesting too, when this came out, we were, you know, and, and I don't know how much you want to get into something like this, but we were like deep at, in the middle of the, you know, the war on terror as it were and everything and, you know, sending people off to die over and over and over again. And and you can feel, it almost feels like there's an anger in this movie about that sort of thing. You know, how these people are, you know, you know, think what you want about, you know, the military and everything, but they're, the, these people are sent off to, to do horrific things and they either come back and aren't, you know, you see, you know, they, they come back and they're not, given the kind of life that, you know, maybe they deserve for putting themselves on the line or they're, you know, killed. And, you know, you see a lot of action lately, you know, things like uh, ambulance or uh, wrath of man, you know, kind of address this where, you know, the solution is, is always veterans, uh, you know, pulling off elaborate heists because, you know, they're not getting, you know, paid well. But with this, there's just, there, there's such a deep, you feel a deep anger in it, you know, with how these people are just used and abused over and over again. And I was just wondering, you know, was that something that was, you know, you were conscious of while writing it? Was that like what you were trying to get across or was it specifically just these creatures as you put it? <laughs> well, no, I, I think, look, even in Roland Emmerich's original, it was always kind of about PTSD, in it, yeah. right? In the sense of that it was Vietnam and it was kind of about the, the use and abuse of, of human beings for, for warfare. And when I did regeneration, I thought that that was, again, that informed the type of violence we were going to portray and, and, and how we were going to do it. And, and the whole thing was kind of about, in my mind, the thing that I, I always adhered to is that the, you know, these movies are going to be about the utter kind of tragic futility of violence and just kind of the self-perpetuating cycle of violence rather than like, let's say, take Dirty Harry. We, we all love Dirty Harry, but that's sort of a fascist, you know, story about kind of, you know, violence solving problems, you know, even like, even like law enforcement, you know, being, you know, using police brutality to, to solve the problems. And, you know, we can all get into that. I mean, even you, you could, you could say, uh, you know, Tarantino's made, you know, whether it was Inglorious Bastards or Django, where it's kind of like a fan, a revenge fantasy, where, where you know, violence or the, you know, someone is able to kind of, you know, play out this revenge fantasy 
and and it's cathartic for the audience and those are great movies and 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 it works somehow because it is it's kind of imagining what what you want in your heart to do with these kind of horrific situations to me i think we were trying to tell the story of of how the kind of violence solves nothing and violence leaves a mark not only on the victims but on the perpetrators of it so that if you create a being whose sole purpose is to inflict violence upon others, um, there it's going to eventually kind of inform everything they do. And it's all every violent act they commit is going to leave a mark on them. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, in regeneration, the point was if you create, you know, if you're creating war machines, uh, what happens when they have no war? Well, they'll, they'll start a war. And, in the in the case of this, it was like, what happens when you have kind of a revenge fantasy that that is dealing with like layers and layers and layers of of uh you know let's say government orders in this case. So it's like they've you know if you create a situation where a guy believes that someone killed his wife and daughter, well you're gonna kill that. You got to kill that guy. But then the next move is to kill the guy who put him up to it. And then the next thing is to find the guy who put him up to it. <laughs> so basically, you're going to unleash war upon like mankind, you know, because yeah, yeah. everyone <laughs> is behind it. And so that was the kind of concept was that essentially the universal soldier was a, was 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 like the Manhattan Project. And these yeah. are like nuclear weapons. And it's just going to lead to kind of world destruction. I, I love that because I feel like as, you know, action fans, you know, move into a more, you know, hopefully enlightened way of thinking, you know, you can go back and look at older movies. Like you, you mentioned Dirty Harry and, you know, I, I have Cobra behind me. That's one of my all time favorite movies. But those sure. are those are deep, like embraces of like a fascistic power fantasy, whereas sure. I think you're, what you're approaching is, like you said, just being able to confront that violence and saying, you know, look, this is not the way to go. And I'm going to show you in the most explicit form possible, which is why it's interesting to me. You know, I don't want to reflect on the negative, but I was reading older reviews the other day just to prepare myself. And it's just so funny to me how you read these reviews and it, it almost feels like so many people miss the point. You know, they're, 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 they're hand wringing over how violent the film is. And and I look at it and I'm like, but that's the point that you're trying to get across, and it's just it's so nice to hear you say that out loud. Yeah, I think as yeah. you say, you know, as we talked about before, that the violence is meant to be horrific, and I think when violence is portrayed in a horrific way, it's it, you know it disturbs people, and some people feel like, well, that's not what I wanted to see this movie for. You know, I want to see Raiders of the Lost Ark where people yeah. are kind of cleanly dispatched. And I think, you know, <laughs> and look, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark too, but if we're telling this kind of story, and in some ways it was, I, I mean, it, in some ways it's just because it was like the mission that was dropped in my lap, right? Like they gave yeah. me this script for Universal Soldier Regeneration. And to me, the script was kind of like there's a problem in the you know that some you know terrorist has kidnapped the prime minister's children well let's go unfreeze these guys and they'll go take care of it it'll be like you know very kind of team america vibe and i thought well you know <laughs> the crime the crime of kidnapping the prime minister's children pales in comparison to the crime of creating like a slave species <laughs> of like warriors to commit murder all over the land for you and that's going to solve nothing and especially the idea of so i thought well if we're thinking of like the the nuke metaphor it's like let's take this luke devro character as like a, a a kind of decommissioned nuclear warhead we're going to try and like we're going to we're going to kind of like try to like uh somehow take the 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 killing out of this uh you know this pit bull who's been in a fight ring we're going to try and save and rescue this this poor dog who's been abused his whole life and he's still got some you know he's still got some bad instincts in him but we're going to try to rehabilitate him because you know that that's the idea of like taking someone who uh, you know a, a veteran who's lived this life of violence and we're now going to try to make them possibly able to kind of function in the world 
And then suddenly it's like, oh shit, there's a problem. Let's like, <laughs> let's send him right back into battle. Let's fucking juice him all the way and get him, <laughs> and get ready for war again. And I thought if we could tell that story. So the story is what happens when they send him back is that like, they've basically just unleashed this guy, not only on their enemy, but back on themselves. And so that's, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> um, well, one thing, you know, I was, uh, I've always wondered how, what was the decision to bring Scott aboard? Because of course, you know, you can't make these without Jean-Claude and Dolph. I know they've tried, you know, multiple times, a few ways without one or the other or both. But uh, I know Scott didn't seem to think that he was the first choice, but um, I think, the you know, in looking, looking ahead, you know, to the next 10 years after this came out, he he almost does feel like the logical choice in retrospect, just because of the way his career has gone. But uh, how how was he brought on board, and and what you know what was the decision behind that? Because he he wasn't as established as he is now. I mean, he had done you know a few of the undisputed movies and Ninja and stuff like that. But he, I think this is what really cemented him as maybe the next uh, you know generation of super soldier, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I think. When I did Regeneration, um, that's when I first heard of Scott. I didn't know about him until I was doing that. And there was even a particular role in that. And some people were showing me, you know, I had never, I hadn't seen Undisputed or those things yet, but I worked with people that he'd worked with out there in Bulgaria. So I, I, I think we even at one point kind of went out to Scott for like a smaller role in the movie and and he i think he wisely turned it down maybe thinking i'd rather you know have a, a bigger deal in in that if possible or i i can't even remember what what how that went down there was no actual discussion between me and scott at the time but after regeneration scott reached out to me because there was now talk that i was going to do another one and he reached out saying he he saw regeneration. He really, you know, he really liked it. And, you know, if there was uh, that maybe we could talk about something for the next one. At that time, when I spoke to him, I hadn't even really written it. I mean, we were still kind of search in search of a concept. Once then we we wrote it and it went through a lot of stages of development. Um, by the time we had a script, there really was no one else in particular that we that we went out to before Scott. It was a lot of discussion about, well, are we gonna are we gonna hire an actor and teach him how to fight? Are we gonna fire a fighter and teach him how to act? Or are we gonna, you know, or there's Scott who can kind of who can do both. And and, and I first went down the road of just trying to find an actor to play the role so you can really hide the ball. Um, but the further down that road I went, the more I started to feel like it's going to be sort of unsatisfying one way or the other. I don't want someone who I have to completely stunt double the entire time because I want to play these scenes in, in longer takes and, and masters and things like that. And I started to feel like if we're going to do this matrix like reveal in the movie of like holy shit this guy knows you know he, he we've been withholding his skills for half the movie and then he breaks it out in one sequence to me that was like the crux of the whole movie was that moment which plays out in that sporting goods store because there is action earlier but he's really not he's really just more on defense in those early sequences um and then there's some sequences that happen without him so that we could really go almost 50 minutes into the movie and not have him show what he's capable of. It became clear to me that that Scott just seemed like the only choice for it. So it, the, the reality is we never spoke to anyone else. We kind of looked at actors and thought about different people and put lists together. But more and more, <clears throat> I started to feel like this is really the guy that it should be. And in terms of why even bring another guy in? I just felt like after regeneration, I just couldn't, you know, there was no need to repeat the story. It couldn't right. just be about Jean-Claude and Dolph going head to head again. And <clears throat> of course we had Andre in there and 
and I knew after regeneration that I wanted Andre back because uh, you know he just to me I, I thought I thought he was great and I just loved his presence and oh absolutely so so I thought I knew we wanted him in the mix as well and and so yeah it just kind of came organically about how do you have a movie where it's not necessarily with with Luke as the protagonist but rather more as like the the figure that hangs over the whole story and it's really about finding him well and and just speaking of Scott he told me as it was actually as we he was hanging up he he wanted me to uh ask you about um he said something about uh ask ask John about when he tried to give me direction during a fight scene and I kind of blew up at him I guess there's a funny story there but but uh, he he made it sound like he was he he kind of went overboard in that interaction <laughs> with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I don't even remember. I, I yeah, Scott that... <laughs> was always a per, Scott was a perfect gentleman. I mean, he's the he's the nicest guy. I, I, if if he blew up, I mean, I don't even I, I don't even know what he's referring to. Actually, I'd love to hear it. You know, he nobody works harder than the guy, and he's going out there take after take. And in fact. Like I say, it was every bit as much him and Larnell. I mean, they had collaborated together, and and it was good to have Larnell in there for Scott because he was comfortable with Larnell, and they together they kind of crafted these things. But I mean, I'm trying to think. I don't I don't recall Scott. It, it, maybe what he viewed as blowing up uh, on me. I didn't <laughs> I didn't see it that way. It seemed that's so funny. Me. See yeah. that? It, see, I can see that too because he just always comes off as such a humble guy. So, like you said, blowing up for him is probably raising his voice one octave. <laughs> but, right, um... right. No, we, I, I always felt like we were, you know, totally in line with everything. I loved working with Scott. He's, he's, you know, he was, he was a great guy. He worked his ass off, and he, you know, there was no one more prepared than him every step of the way. Well, I think other than the sporting goods fight one of the biggest uh, sequences everyone focuses on is the wonder towards the end when he fir- when he shows up to the compound uh, how did you uh, you I, I don't think you know not, not to b- blow all your secrets and everything but i don't think it's a true wonder as far as i know no 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 but, there's but, there's uh, sti- stitches yeah. yeah yeah but but how do you how do you approach something like that was that was especially because I, i've never seen it this way but i believe you guys had 3d to thrust upon you too right so, yes. so you had to well first of all was that was that a shot with 3D in mind or was it a post-conversion? Oh, I wish it was a post-conversion. We were forced to do it in 3D. It was like my oh, biggest fight with the producers. <laughs> I did not want to do it. And <laughs> I mean, thank God we had like a complete moose for a camera operator, this guy, Nick Davidoff, who was, you know, just, he's just like a super strong dude and a great camera operator because that rig was like 70 pounds or something. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was operating Steadicam and handheld. But once I saw what he could do with it, and even Ari Robbins, who is a Steadicam operator that operated for us like the first week or first few days, he did a great job. So once I saw that the operators were able to handle that thing, I felt like, okay, we can we can do this. But it, it was up the degree of difficulty a lot. And in some ways... The the good news was that the 3D stuff kind of informed our aesthetic in in a way that ultimately was a good thing, <clears throat> um, but but it was a, a total pain. Um, and and the way it informed our aesthetic was a we didn't use, shoot with long lenses. The longest lens we had was like a 40 millimeter because you know long lenses it doesn't really translate to 3D and it just flattens everything out. And it also informed like to not make it a, a, a super cutty movie so that, yeah. you know, that long takes and things like that would would play into the 3D experience. And I knew this knowing full well that most people wouldn't see it in 3D. But ultimately, I think I actually used those things because I wanted to shoot that way. So I kind of was able to sell that on the producers and studio like, hey, we're going to do long takes and we're going to do it this way. It's looks great in 3d and they were like oh okay and i think it 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 allowed us to do things that i only do more and more of now you know i, I think yeah that, you know and, and so 
that's just aesthetically where where myself and and Ron Levy, my DP, like that's we just like doing those things. I mean, if, if you've seen any of our show Black Summer, we yeah. really uh, we pretty much shoot action in the action more than anything we shoot in long takes. And I've come to realize that there's, you know, what what you give up on in terms of multiple vantage points you make up for in 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 just kind of creating tension and creating suspense and and creating action that feels much more visceral to me because it you're it's really playing in real time there's no kind of compression of time through editing and exactly because i think that's one of the biggest complaints i and a lot of action fans have with you know, I'm not going to, you know, name any movies, but a lot of the bigger budget stuff is cut to ribbons because oftentimes it's stunt people, you know, doing the, the action. And so it's, it is really refreshing to be able to see that kind of, you know, especially in your work, you know, that, that stuff play out in real time. Like you said, it just, it's, you don't see that too much in action anymore, at least in the higher budget stuff where you're able to just see clear, crisp action, you know, as violent as possible. <laughs> Yeah, and and it and it's you know the, the thing that I hear most people who talk about action movies and write about it, like yourself, um, you know, the things that people that upsets people most is like a lack of geography and a lack of clarity in action. So, you know, cuts are so often used to obscure action or maybe make up for like some like choreography or performance that wasn't spot on and and. And so we started just devoting ourselves to the idea of like, well, let's just get it looking great from this position. And if we didn't get it, let's not do another angle. Let's just keep doing this till we get it from here. And then really taking the philosophy of, well, you can only be seeing one thing at a time. You know, I think there is a laziness when you're shoot making films that we've all fallen victim to, which is, well, I shoot this from this angle. Okay, that looked pretty good. Now I'll shoot it from this angle. That looks good. And you kind of cover something. So you feel like, all right, it must be in there somewhere. Instead of saying to yourself, what exactly do I want to be looking at, at when this kick happens? I can't be on both sides. What's the primary angle? And deciding that on set and committing to it. You know, I mean, Larnell really thought that way. And Scott really thought that way. And, and I think there's always the best angle to see something from. Uh, and so when you commit to that idea, then you're also committing to what you're not seeing at that time. And so I think we, we started feeling like, you know, take uh, that, that brilliant piece in Children of Men. Well, there's a couple of yeah. them, but certainly the, the, when they're ambushed in the car and then the whole kind of re refugee camp thing. Now, if you think about what is so take take when they go through the refugee camp, you know, because that really informed a lot of like Black Summer and the way we did it and probably informed these kind of things, which is, well, uh, we're just living in the point of view of this particular character. So by doing that, we're implying a larger battle that's going on, but we're only seeing it from this perspective, which actually adds a lot of scope to your experience even though you're only seeing this narrow vision you're following like one particular character and there's things happening in the background there's things happening off camera that sound is taken care of and suddenly you realize yes there's i mean they're seeing the kind of god's eye view of a battle or they're seeing being right there on the ground with someone in the middle of the battle where you're seeing less but you're feeling more and in the end we started to you know, we just really more and more leaned into this idea of, you know, being being right there over a character's shoulder as they're experiencing a piece of action or violence, which is, you know, closer to the way we may experience it in life. You know, we're not seeing, you know, a, 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 when a violent event occurs, sometimes you're you're sometimes a fight breaks out outside of a bar or something and you're looking through people and you're getting snippets of it, or you're seeing it just from your one perspective. And it's very disturbing and powerful to see it from that one perspective. Now you could also shoot it from inside 
from the point of view of the characters and show every fight and reverse angle and reaction shots. But somehow, to me, that always makes it kind of less disturbing, you know? Yeah. And it's more disturbing to kind of watch it from outside. And I think that that plays perfectly into with, you know, your horror sensibilities that you bring to action and vice versa. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, well, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I did. There, there were a few more things I wanted to ask first. Um, I did. I, I watched a little bit of the director's commentary and I heard you talking to Dolph in the beginning of it uh, about your original idea for Day of Reckoning and how it was set in the far future and how he kind of balked at that. Is that something, I guess this is a, that plays into a, a bigger question is A, is this a series you'd ever like to return to? And B, is that original idea something you'd like to explore with it? Well, I don't think we could ever like return to exactly that original idea because there was a lot of elements from that that we borrowed and used in Day of Reckoning. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was kind of like, it, it, it was that feeling of when you end in regeneration and you see kind of passing by all these clones that like the immediate cut from that is like, and suddenly the world changed after that, you know, it's like you, 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 you skip several movies in between and lead to what are the ultimate ramifications of this type of, you know, weaponization. So Yes. And, and that original one, you know, again, there were elements of that that still existed. That original script that that I sent, that I showed Dolph was played from the perspective of the monster, if you will. It was from yeah. a character, you know, one character's perspective who was and it was this vastly kind of different world where, uh, you know, kind of uh, genetic manipulation, if you will, had had become part of the norm and part of the underground and so there was a whole there was there was a whole story and mythology around that um and yeah and looking back on it it probably it, it probably went way too far it would have been super interesting i don't know what yeah. people would have thought if we if we had made that one um it was it was i, I still really liked the concept that it was not it wasn't perfectly realized yet but we were on to something interesting uh and would i revisit the franchise you know there was a window somewhere around you know back in 2012 13 even 14 where i was talking with producers and had really come up with a whole concept that did kind of push it it was a different it, it was a definitely certainly set in the future and it it was uh Again, I thought a really interesting concept that took some of those ideas and, and we've gone pretty far with it. We've done a lot of concept art. I, you know, pretty much had um, done a treatment of the whole script and everything. And at a certain point, and we were working with these producers on it. And then at a certain point, you know, they were like into it, into it. And then pretty soon, if I have memory serves, they had gotten a script that had come in, that had come in, which was pretty much like a very universal soldier one kind of concept. And they were uh, like, let's, let's just do this. This is kind of like a reboot. And then I think at the same time, then the rights holders were getting involved in like a series, which I think might've even happened. I never even saw it. I think it was overseas somewhere. And at which point I, I just kind of bowed out of that situation because yeah. I, I thought if I'm going to be involved, I just want to continue what I've been doing. Otherwise, I don't really I'll, I'll leave it to some other people. And yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if uh, <laughs> what you could do with it now, quite frankly. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, you know, I I can only speak for myself, but I imagine a lot of other fans feel this way is that you you know came into a an already running franchise one that you hadn't even seen originally but it feels like your voice is just so tied to this franchise now that i can't imagine it without you so that's i i would hope that if anything were to come of it you know it they would at least reach out first because i just feel like you you have you, what you brought to it feels pretty special to you know um and and so i guess just to wrap up i appreciate here, it 
Oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, j- just to wrap up a bit, uh, you know, I'm I'm friendly with a an, another filmmaker. Uh, I don't know his name's Liam O'Donnell. He does the Skyline movies, and he oh cool. He, he and I have kind of talked a bit about this. Um, I know Day of Reckoning wasn't meant to be DTV specifically, but I know that you know you, you work in and out of that zone here and there. And and he and I have talked about this because he he feels like these days there isn't as there, there isn't as much money being put into DTV for high concept ideas like yours or like what he tries to do with the Skyline movies. Um, and I'm just wondering, I, I don't think you could ever make a movie like Day of Reckoning again, just because it's such a unique, special film that it just, but but at the same time, do you feel like there are opportunities within DTV to, to do interesting things like this? Or do you think that's shifting towards television and streaming? Well, I don't even know what like, conceptually what dtv it, it's sort of it's almost like direct to streaming now if anything yeah. right you yeah. know i think it, it which i guess which is but i think direct to streaming does it is it still you know to me like dtv was sort of an aesthetic too in in in, in a sense and uh direct to streaming comes in I mean, I guess it came in many forms and direct to streaming comes in all forms. And I think that things that I do, some of them will go streaming. Some will have some theatrical run, you know, in many ways, theatrical is, is really dictated by, by, you know, a certain set of kind of narrow decisions. So I guess I'm not really answering your question. I think my answer is pretty much, I don't really think of any of the things I'm doing in terms of how, whether they're going to be theatrical or streaming or not, you know, it's more about like, do I have any, will I be doing anything in more kind of action genre versus horror versus thriller? I actually have a number of projects that I've been, you know, developing now for, for, for a while some that are you know super action heavy i mean i have one in particular that is that is i i I felt like i have a lot of things again that are sort of horror thriller genre and things like that there's one in particular that involved with with this company paperclip that did that produced alone there's one in particular that i feel like is the closest relative to day of reckoning it's not sci-fi but it is like it's super intense, like brutal action. And, uh, and it's like, it's a super gnarly kind of thing that is in some ways at first I was like, Whoa, do I even want to go there? And that, and that has kind of got me excited about it. So I do feel like, uh, a lot of things I've been doing lately had really moved totally away from, from the, uh, more towards kind of, naturalism and almost verite feel uh and certainly in black summer and and even in in alone and sick they were all kind of moving uh a bit away from that uh i guess you would say that kind of stylized subjectivity of day of reckoning yeah i think this one thing in particular uh is is the closest cousin to it and 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 there's something about that that kind of excites me you know now we're talking about this movie 10 years out and I feel like maybe that's, maybe that's the one that we should be uh, doing, you know, if not next and then pretty soon after that or doing next year, because I feel like, you know, it, it might be fun to kind of step back into the territory of, of this type of cinema where you really just, uh, you know, going for kind of this extreme audience experience, I guess is what I would say. Oh, that's that's exciting. I'm, I know yeah. a lot of people are going to be excited about that if if that comes together. I hope it does. Uh, but yeah, that's that's really exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it'll be good. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to stop recording here real quick.
moment, Josh. 